Gingerbread loaf for Hazel. Oh, yeah, that's me. Discovery Plus knows just what this season needs. A gingerbread showdown for this year's winner. $100,000. <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. There's no way they're giving that job to that ding-dong. You should know we're giving the job to that. When her career as an architect turns sour... Why not take an extended break back home? I suppose I could go help my dad with the bakery. She'll head home sweet home for the holidays. Planning on paying for that scone? To find the handyman hard at work. This is my first baking job. Your dad hired me on as a contractor to do the renovations. Renovations? And the family business... This is a disaster. And that's why I'm fixing it. In a sticky situation. One, two, three, four. I think I know how to save the bakery. In the new original film. It is my pleasure to welcome you all to the 25th annual Christmas Bake Off. <laughs> that finds food and family. Your mother would be so proud. Are the best recipe for the greatest gift of all. I couldn't have done it without you. I'm only happy when you're in the room. Thing is perfect. Don't miss Tia Sarkar, Mark Ben David, and featuring Food Network's own Duff Goldman. The moment we've all been waiting for. In the Discovery Plus original film, Gingerbread's up. My favorite. Mine too. A Gingerbread Christmas. Only on Discovery Plus. And also the Food Network, which is where Emily do the art. And with that, we're back for the finale of season eight of Stocking Stuffers. Uh, it is just me. I'm alone today. I say that. I have one of my kittens next to me. This is the first time I'm letting her in the room when I record, because usually, um, yeah, no, that's not going to work. She is currently staring at GarageBand, attacking the, I won't say attacking. She is narrowing her eyes. Oh, no, now she stepped on there. She just paused it. Okay, we're going to, we're going to pause it. That's right. Let nobody ever tell you that we are not a professional podcast. Uh, okay, so that's it. Uh, this is the final episode. Here's what we're going to do. We are going to first talk about the movie you just heard, Discovery Pluses slash The Food Network slash Mar Vista. Uh, their production of A Gingerbread Christmas. And then after that, we are going to go through our best of the year, our worst of the year, not really worst of the year, but, you know, where, where it merits a call out. I'm going to give a ranking of the movies I covered this year and call out some of the things that we learned over, over the course of this past month. Uh, thank you for joining me on this ride. It has been quite a big one. But before we get to, you know, going through, like, everything here, uh, a gingerbread Christmas. Now... Last year, the Food Network debuted their first original Christmas movie, and that was a candy-coated Christmas. Last year, I had no ability to watch it because it was only on Discovery+. Plus. I don't think they were even airing it on the Food Network. When I, when I would search my DVR, search cable, I couldn't find it anywhere. So I gave up, and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not paying to watch any of these movies. I refuse. But a year later, here we are, uh, Food Network this year put out two originals. One, I think, was like One Delicious Christmas, which I had on for about five minutes the other day, and it looked very dank and sad, and I, I did not care for it. But again, I don't know. Maybe maybe it had a delightful turn when Bobby Flay showed up. I don't know. But instead, the one I picked to watch was A Gingerbread Christmas. Uh, now, uh, I think on the last episode, I talked a little bit about this with Christine on, like, can I watch these movies for fun and the answer is really no no matter what my brain is working when they're on and I did a project where I thought you know this is like their second movie I feel like I should have watched their first one just to know how they did it so I did um indeed because it aired right after this one so I was able to DVR both together I recorded and watched a candy-coated Christmas uh, which has the fun credit introducing Reed Drummond now you probably know Reed Drummond is the pioneer woman uh, I enjoy her recipes. I've actually cooked a lot of the stuff she has uh, put on her website. And I, I don't know much about the woman in real life, but as a TV presence and cook, uh, d she works for me. I, I do take a lot of inspiration in the kitchen from her, if you will. And we did decide um, recently that if I was ever to do Snatch Game, I think I might actually do Reed Drummond, and I think I'd do a pretty good job on it. But anyway, uh, that that's Candy Go to Christmas. Which I watched, uh, and I was thrilled when I realized it was a Mar Vista production, which just threw me off. But I guess Food Network didn't... I, I don't know how that worked. I guess they, like, wanted to make a Christmas movie, which does make sense for their brand. 
and they went to a studio and I do wonder if they like first went to the big guns and then like worked their way down budgetary wise and found Marvista but it um it was your typical one of these um I would say why why I was curious for these movies was to see how much they integrated the Food Network brand into the movie and Candy Go to Christmas really did very little Reed Drummond was in the movie proving that uh, an important point because I think it's really easy for anybody who is not an actor myself included to watch a movie and say my gosh like I could do that better because you kind of think like acting looks pretty easy right especially in these movies and then you watch somebody who's on screen a lot like in her daily life like she's a tv host she does a lot of these competitions but you watch Reed Drummond act quote unquote in a candy coat of Christmas and you realize oh no acting is hard yeah not just anybody can do it so uh, that really was Candy Go to Christmas. But moving on to the important movie, because, oh, I did want to say, what surprised me was that there was a lot of food, there was a lot of baking, but there was no call-outs. There was no, like, hey, you know, if you, if you don't have flour, you can always substitute cow's blood or something, or something. I don't know, like food tips that you would normally have in these. You didn't get them. And as much as there were clear... Um, foods and baked goods being presented to us of would you like a chocolate chip marshmallow candy cupcake it wasn't you know I was expecting like a QR code to come up so that you could scan and then get that recipe but there was none of that and I will spoiler alert say the same thing happens in a gingerbread Christmas there's a lot of good looking food mostly of the baked variety in here but no actually I didn't learn anything and I something I really like about the Food Network is that you watch it and you do learn stuff you learn tips you learn tricks it's handy I love to cook and I have learned a lot over the years but not not from these movies but here we are 2022 A Gingerbread Christmas directed by Pat Keeley who has made a lot of these movies including one I did a few years ago I can't remember the name of it but it was the one with Ali Stroker and it was not very good uh, this one does, again, have the Mar Vista title card, which makes me excited. And uh, similar, I won't say it goes the same route as Holiday Harmony, Harmony Holiday, Harmony and Holiday, Holiday and Harmony. But remember how when we watched that one, we kept kind of remarking on the lighting and how it looked like a real movie? Uh, the lighting in Gingerbread Christmas, it's not like full real movie, but it's not Hallmark cardboard movie. It's sort of a cross in between, but it does look a little different from the typical movie of this. And then randomly, I did have the other, that one delicious Christmas on, and it was shocking how weird the lighting was. So I don't know what I can say about that. I am not, I know nothing about lighting film sets, but it, there's something to, to, to see there. So if your eyes on it, go for it. The big Food Network star in this one is Duff Goldman, who hosts uh, the Holiday Baking Challenge, the Thanksgiving Baking Challenge, the Halloween Baking Challenge, the All Hallows' Eve Baking Challenge, the All Saints' Day Baking Challenge. I don't know how these work, but there's a million of them, even for every holiday. Uh, so what's really weird about this, for some reason he's not playing himself, even though he is playing himself. He is playing a Food Network personality chef who hosts baking shows to which they use footage from one of his shows in this in this movie, but yet his character's name is Mark Clemens. I do not understand why they couldn't just have him be Duff Goldman playing Duff Goldman. Who knows? Maybe there was something in his contract where he wanted to say, no, I want to act, and I can only act if I'm playing a different character. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's his real name. Duff doesn't seem like something that he was born with. I don't know how this works, but that's that part of it. Uh, and let's get into the story. Uh, it follows a, a young architect named something that something is hazel i don't know how i could have forgotten it because it's actually a huge part of the movie but hazel is played by uh tia Surkar. i hope i say that name right even though i tried to look it up beforehand you would recognize her from the good place she played i don't want to say who she played because it's kind of a spoiler but she played eleanor another version of eleanor she's very cute uh she is a hard-working architect in the big bad city of chicago i think or is she in New York and then moves back to a town outside of Chicago? I honestly have no idea where this movie is set. But anyway, she's an architect. She's working hard. She's trying to get a promotion. Um, but basically, she loses the promotion to the dude. And it's very clear that she lost it because the dude's like a dude. And um, rather than stay in the city and be sad, she goes back home where her recently of two years widowed dad has been struggling to keep uh, the family bakery afoot. So the family bakery was her mother was the baker. Mother died two years earlier. And dad's still running it, but 
you know, uh, Hazel walks into the bakery and doesn't understand why there's nobody in there, but yet across the street, there's a line outside a door for a rival bakery, which is being run by her uh, former best friend turned mortal enemy, Shelby. Shelby is also her godmother's daughter, and her godmother was her mother's best friend. There's there's a lot of weird relationships in this movie that don't seem... I, I don't understand why they had to be so intertwined, but they are, so we go with it. Anyway, uh, Dad has hired a contractor to fix up the bakery, and then he stayed on and became the head baker, the only baker, the only employee. I don't know if the dad actually bakes or just this guy does. Uh, the character's name is Mark. Mark is a good-looking single man, so naturally sparks will fly. But how do they fly? How do, how do we get these two together? Well, uh, Duff Goldman, I'm sorry, nay, Mark Clemens, is... Uh, Oh, wait a minute. See, they did it again. They fucking did it again in this movie, where Duff Goldman is playing a character named Mark. Actor Mark Bendavid is playing a character named James. Her love interest's name is James, played by an actor named Mark. Why do these movies keep doing this? I don't know. There are a lot of names in the in the language that is spoken in these movies. I don't know why we have to keep using the same ones as actors in the movies. Anyway, I digress. Uh, so, okay. Uh, Mark Clemens slash Duff Goldman is holding a big baking architect uh, gingerbread competition that's all about like making a really elaborate gingerbread house, and the grand prize is a hundred thousand dollars plus I think a spot on the holiday baking championship where you could win ten thousand dollars or twenty five thousand I think now is the going rate, and uh, Hazel figures out that well she is not a baker she actually did not take up her mother's mantle but she's an architect so she can design a gingerbread house james can bake the gingerbread house and they'll win a hundred thousand dollars which will pay for half of that will pay for the bakery to pay back its rent but there's no actual business plan going forward on how they won't be in this position a year from now i digress uh, they get together, they start making gingerbread house modeled after the town hall building in this little town that is in Canada, but Shore is somewhere in the Midwest. And they fall in love, I guess. I don't know. It's kind of confusing. She's afraid of committing. Um, there is a big accident where she and James have an argument and they knock into the gingerbread house and it breaks and she's ready to give up. He storms off. Uh, her godmother enlists Shelby to come help and says, like, no, 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 you two are going to hash this out. Shelby, you've already, because of course Shelby is also in the competition. Uh, Shelby, you finished yours, now help your friend who you screwed over by opening a bakery right outside of her father's dying business. So she does. Um, they make up. They go to the competition. Guess what? They don't win. Whoa, what? Uh, instead, the nice young Iranian woman who made a cinemosque wins, as she should, because it was way better. Uh, but it's all good, because uh, Duff Goldman Mark Clemens is impressed by the storyline between Hazel and Shelby. So he decides, like, hey, both of you should come on my baking show, which doesn't make sense, because Hazel isn't a baker. Uh, and uh, also think about a business plan together. I don't know. I didn't really understand how this movie ended, but it did, and everybody seemed happy, so we'll go with it. Now, going into the details of it, let's, let's go. It's our last time this year. Let's, let's make it count. Number one, our lead need of a lesson. Our lead need of a lesson is Hazel. I don't know what she needed to learn. She was working very hard. I guess what she needed to learn was to not keep subjecting herself to an industry in or that type of in that that part of the industry that was never going to respect her because at one point uh the architectural firm firm calls her and says like hey we're sorry we should have given you the promotion please take it and by then she's kind of of course fallen back in love with her old town so she's like no i'm not gonna because also there is a new architectural firm in the small town run by a woman she's like no women business that's what i'm gonna do a woman business which is a, a good message i guess um you know kind of it, it, I want to give it credit for not just being a, oh, get, don't give up, the way some of these movies are very, just give up your career, it doesn't matter. I feel like this was sort of kind of saying like, oh, don't, don't subject yourself to the grind when you don't have to uh, maybe put yourself through misery to get where you think you want. That's what I, I want to say the, where the movie's heart was. I don't think it was just saying, oh, stop trying because a woman, especially a woman of color in this industry, is never going to make it. Um, 
I don't know if it comes out that way. I'm sure somebody else could read this movie a little bit more hard-nosed and say, like, this movie just told this woman to give up on competing in the big leagues. It kind of did. Fuck this movie. Okay. Anyway, moving on. Number two, the setting. Big Bad City, Charming Small Town, Magical Winter Wonderland. I mean, the Big Bad City obviously is bad. We know it. They don't give her a promotion. This Charming Small Town, I was very confused by. Again, I guess they said where they were in the beginning, but I didn't really get it. We know it snows there. Uh, We know it's somewhere near Chicago, I think. Uh, It is a small enough town that you can very quickly walk down the street and know everybody. But it's a big enough town, according to um, somebody at the end of the movie, that you can have two bakeries on the same street and still have business for both of them. I don't know that I believe that. Uh, At one point when they are looking at at this fairly impressive town hall, which I'm sure is a real building somewhere, not in the small town, uh, there is some weird green screenery going on where they are just... You can see the pickle pixels behind them that are simulating this winter setting. Anyway, number three, bland love interest. So this guy, uh, okay, he is a handyman turned baker, as you heard from the trailer, which is great because it hits everything that you want in these. Like, again, they they've done their their research and they know the things that women want in these. He and he says early on, you know, being a single dad's hard. And you're like, oh, dead wife? No, not a dead wife, a divorce. Um, we don't get divorced in these often because, again, these movies are all supposed to be about happy puppy, you know, don't think of anything negative. But in this case, it's very, like, he goes out of his way to make it very clear that it was a nice divorce, that him and his ex-wife are on very good terms and they co-parent and it's great. And even the little girl at one point is like, I have two really great parents who just aren't together. So don't worry. Like, you don't have to feel bad about this. Um... For about 20 minutes in the movie, he's just not there, and I had forgotten about him, and I really thought we just were never going to see him again, but then they do bring him back. I don't really know why. Number four is the montage. Now, I have mixed feelings on the montages. In general, I feel like this year we'll get to it at the end of this episode, but this is kind of a wash for montages. They're not up to the standard they used to be. We got, I think, three that I counted, and they are all baking-related, which is fine. It's Food Network. It should be. Uh, The first one is kind of the greatest one because uh, Hazel has said, like, look, I don't know if this guy can bake. Like, yeah, I had a scone. It's good. But let me watch him bake. So he has sort of an audition. And (laughs) it's the most hilariously gratuitous um, bare-chested shot I have ever seen in one of these movies where um, Mark or James, whatever the character's name is, like, walks into the kitchen, takes off his T-shirt to put on a chef's coat. And as he does that, you just see his exposed torso. He, he's, a, he's, he's an attractive man, but like, he's not like, it's not a torso that if I was directing this movie, I would say, whoa, whoa wait, dude, we need to show your bare chest in this movie. Like, he is kind of the pasty white guy. Like, it, he's, he's trim, but he's not, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not like, like look, not, he, he's fit. He's great for a guy who bakes a lot. I guess he just doesn't eat his baking or has a really good metabolism, but there's nothing... It's not one of those moments that, like, really is going to please, I think, a lot of people out there. Anyway, and it made my husband very angry. Because he's like, that that's just, you can't, that's just so gratuitous. Like, it's fine. Um, and pretty much all of these, so the first two are pure montages, are pure baking montage. Chopping the basil, zest in the lemon, mix in the mix. Uh, and both of them are not to Christmas music. They're two kind of, like, sort of, I don't, what I would think of as, like, Cuban big band music. But they're not Christmassy. And I, what? What are we doing? What Do we know what movie we're making here? And then, thankfully, the third one, which is just yet another baking montage, uh, it is Deck the Halls. Same style of music as the other two, but hey, at least it's Christmas. Now, number five is our dead parents or dead wife. Uh, we have a dead parent wife, wife a dead mom wife. Uh, Judy was her name. She was a baker. She was apparently the greatest person in the world. Uh, and she's no longer with us. So, all right. Yeah, that's what we like to see. Number six, our sassy sidekick. This, uh, this is upsetting because I don't, I hate, I do this every year. I need to find a way to not end on a dud for some of these categories. But we kind of do. There's not really a sassy sidekick. Uh, Hazel befriends um, Yasmin, who is another entrant in the baking competition. Uh, She is, again, as I said, she's Iranian, kind of fairly new to the country. Um, She's lovely. She makes a much better uh, gingerbread house than anybody else, and she wins, so good on her. But no sass, no, you know, fire, no dangly earrings. 
we move on. Number seven, evil woman or villain. Uh, so in this case, we have a, you know, we have um, her boss who is impressed by the white guy. Uh, the white guy is presented as if he's going to be a big problem. That is Ben, the smarmy Harvard grad, but he goes away pretty quickly. Uh, and then really the, the ooh, there is a sassy, mean, gay rival baker in the competition who's just very, very bitchy. And I did love him and I would have liked him to be more in the movie, but he is not. Uh, the real villain, I guess, is Shelby. Um, who, okay, look. Uh, I, I think Tia Sakara is probably about my age. Like she's, I, I'm 40. I think she might be, you know, she, she looks like she is in her mid-30s. Are you still mad at your friend in high school for, for, um hanging out with cool kids like is that a thing that you hold on to for almost 20 years because she is and like fuck get over it get over it now shelby is interesting in that again she has opened a bakery across the street from her uh godmother's oh no from her mother's best friend's bakery if this all comes together and that's kind of a dick move. I don't really, and they never really explain why, because again, I, I guess that was the only real estate in town that made sense. Um, but the the fun twist of that is that uh, Shelby also is there, and she introduces Hazel. Oh, by the way, I opened this with my wife, which is and again this this is a very inclusive movie. This we get a lot of different. Um, different ethnicities, different sexualities, all that's great, and I appreciate it, and it's more true of the landscape of the world. Uh, movie doesn't do much with it. Like, they actually do make a point of saying, like, Shelby kind of justifies her actions as saying, like, look, I didn't, yeah, I, I stole your prom date because I didn't want people to know I was gay. Cool. Okay, sure. Um, again, just a small part of this movie, which is really the way it should be done, where you don't necessarily have to make it about that, but you sprinkle it in. Uh, now, granted, of the two IMDb reviews that were on there for this movie, one of them was just angry at that and how quote-unquote woke this movie was. Fuck that person. It, I enjoyed it. There we go. Number eight, slapstick. Eh, it, it starts as if there's going to be a lot of it, because um, in the very first scene, uh, Tia Sakar, who is a good comedic actress, who can probably pull off a lot of this, um, she has like a good spit take in a coffee shop and then she goes to throw her coffee cup away and it doesn't land in the garbage can. So they're kind of pulled, like really pushing a clumsy narrative, but that goes away really quickly. So I don't know. Number nine, Sage, old person. Her dad is there and he's pretty supportive and occasionally gives good advice. There is also Nina, her godmother, who is her friend's best mom, best friend. Um, except again, she's also kind of villainous because she has helped her daughter put her former best friend's husband out of business and 10 santa claus god damn it not a santa again i again guys remind me because i'll forget next year um make a rule that i have to do the final episode on a santa movie so the bonus round moving over number one public domain holiday songs not nearly as many as there should be there's a lot of non-christmas music i don't get it uh but specifically a lot of joy to the world in various forms. Like there's a slow joy to the world. There's carolers singing joy to the world. I don't know why they, they kind of stuck with the theme and went with it. Number two is our secret family recipe. Before a movie produced by the Food Network, you would think there would be more recipes in general. And there's not, it's just like there's baking, but you can't follow along with it. Uh, there is one scene where the dad's like, I know how to make you feel better. It's the secret banana split Sunday, And we do watch him make it. And it's, I mean, I, I'm not a big banana split person. Like, if I want ice cream, I want ice cream. I like banana and sweets, but not an ice cream. But apparently the trick is, you know, you, you layer the foundation as the banana, then the Neapolitan on top, and then the whipped cream, and then chocolate sauce as well. But, again, like, there's mentions of cupcakes in this movie, but not details on them. They're making a gingerbread house, and there's a little bit of like, oh, in my mom's recipe, she calls for this. And baker contractor is like, what? You can't use that. Oh, it worked. But like, can can you tell us? Like, are, is this educational? No, it's it's not at all. Uh, so number three, small business in danger. Obviously, uh, it is Hazelnuts Bakery is, is the name of it. And we know it is, in, it is in dire, dire straits. Number four is product placement. So here's where I'm just, my mind just is boggled. I don't understand why they quite did the movie the way they did because it's a food network produced christmas movie airing on discovery plus but also airing on food network i imagined watching this because i had seen promos i had seen a lot of um duff goldman mark clemens doing like little bits of like don't forget to watch ginger gingerbread christmas on discovery plus my movie where i star 
And so I figured like, okay, there's going to be tie-ins, right? There's going to be just a lot of it. And it's really weird that there's not. I went to the Food Network website assuming like, well, this is probably going to, this and the other movie are probably going to be really prominent. It's probably going to be like, click here for bios and for, you know, links to the recipes you saw in the movie. And there's nothing. I had to like, you know, when you try to go to a site and search it and you can't find anything because of the way the site's organized. So then you separately, you Google the thing plus the thing, thinking that will direct you better. And it did a little bit. Like there is one link to um, Duff Goldman's recipe for gingerbread cupcakes. And it says, you know, as seen on this movie. But there's nothing, there's no like tag on this recipe that brings you to a landing page like categories, cupcake, gingerbread, Christmas dessert. Normally there'd be like a giant, you know, pop-up ad or just link direct to learn more about what you saw in A Gingerbread Christmas. So bad marketing for a movie that I assume was made to market the network. Uh, Even um, Duff's book, like in the beginning, I have to go back. I meant to try to get a picture of it to see like he's sitting there with a book in front of him. And I don't know why it wasn't his real book. I assume it wasn't, because otherwise it would have his real name and not the character's name. So much going on. So just weird choices. Number five, cloying child. So we know that James Mark has a child. uh, Oh, she's fine. She's like probably like 11. She likes cookies. She likes her dad's a baker because it means she gets to eat cookies. And yeah, that'd be great. Um, Like she's kind of... um, aggressively mediocre where there is no attempt to make her cute but also no attempt to make her annoying like she is just perfectly there and I, you know again as we know I like a terrible child so I was disappointed number six character with the holiday theme name hazel gives us hazelnuts we'll take it number seven finding the perfect tree no tree no real decorations no ho- uh, holiday cocktails uh, jumping to nine empty coffee cup acting now let's talk about that here I am watching this, and there's a couple of different scenes of characters drinking coffee where I'm thinking, like, well, you know, they actually know how to do this. This is a higher quality than I'm used to. And there is specifically a scene where uh, our two leads are, are drinking hot chocolate outside, and um, I'm going with it. I'm believing that that has hot chocolate in it. And then there are carolers that just sort of accost them and start singing at them. And uh, they are like smiling along and they start clapping while holding the cup. And okay, maybe by this point you're done with the cup. So maybe there's, there's like almost nothing left, but it immediately cuts to a caroler, cuts back to them and their hands are empty and they are applauding. And where'd the cups go? Earlier we saw Hazel make an effort to make sure her cup went in the recycling bin. So I do not believe that they littered, um, Charlie Bucket style in this movie but it was at that point I was like no I literally just finished writing they're actually pretty good with cups and then that scene happened now number 10 actress trying very hard not to take a bite of something on camera well it's a food network movie there is a lot of food in there um and there's a couple of scenes early on where it's like this cupcake's amazing can't you tell by the tiny 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 itty itty bitty bite that I took of it so as to not mess up my lipstick, which I'm wearing a lot of lipstick for somebody who's just wandering around their old hometown. So there's a few things like that. There is a champagne toast where nobody actually drinks it. Uh, however, I will say to, well, one thing at one point, dad is eating a cookie and we, we see the cookie in his mouth as he's, as he's talking. So good on him. That's method. Uh, but one thing this movie does well, and this is like, all oh, right, because they're Food Network. This is how they do most of this, because I'm sure we all wonder on like holiday baking challenge, how much do the judges eat? Like, is it a bite and then they spit out the rest and then they like slosh water and then take a bite of the next one? Like, it's it's hard to know because obviously the food looks very good. But if you are eating 10 of them that day or maybe that morning, because I'm sure these shows are filmed like five episodes in one day, then how do you manage to do that without getting sick or just not being able to taste things? So I think what they, they show here is a good trick, which is it's not about showing an actor... Um, putting the food in their mouth and chewing. It's about showing the fork in the food. So there's a very specific cut where uh, Hazel like takes her fork and like slices into a piece of cake and you could see her like getting the cake on the fork and it makes, it's beautiful because it highlights the cake. It shows the 
the texture of the cake that it's very soft it shows all the colors and then we cut to her like you know pretending to wipe her mouth and talk about how good it was and so there's an there's an art form to that that i feel like again the director is a somebody who did christmas movies not food network stuff but i guarantee like somebody on set who was like an editor of the food network was like no no no, i know how to do this trust me trust me uh, so number 11, Canadianisms. Oh, oh, oh yes. Uh, this was filmed in Montreal, apparently. I didn't watch close enough to see if, like, you could have seen, like, French everywhere. But we know that uh, based on a lot of the actors' accents, uh, Dad especially is definitely a big, big guy of, of saying sorry. 11, Warm Weather Watch. Uh, yeah. Again, I didn't quite catch where they filmed it, and that's on me. But I believe it was supposed to be somewhere outside of Chicago. Tell me, people, I, as I've said, I've been to Chicago once and it was in the summertime, but do you barbecue outside in December? Like, is that a thing people do while wearing just like a light pullover? Because the dad in this movie does it. Uh, I will say, um, Tia Sakar commits to always wearing gloves when she's outside and they're really cute too. They're like red leather and she looks great holding a coffee cup in them. In general, the fashion in this movie, I, I liked. She, she had very good looks, uh, really nice red peacoat that she would keep wearing, cute sweaters, just looked great in this movie. Um, but every time she was outside, she did have gloves. So I appreciate uh, that effort. Uh, this, and that, that's that's the wrap on that. I do want to point out one of the reviews. There's only two reviews on IMDb. Um, one of them is a two out of 10. And let me... Let me read this. Now, it does say, has a spoiler warning. So, you know, make of that what you will. Ahem. This is a, this is simply a remake of the 2018 film, A Gingerbread Romance. The female leads in both films are architects and meet a single dad that happens to be a baker and entering a baking competition by making a gingerbread house and fall in love, yada, yada, yada. I love the original. So settled down to watch, so I settled down to watch this quote unquote remake and thought I would enjoy it. But I knew exactly what each scene was going to be. So the plot is still the same. That totally spoiled it for me. Why do a remake of a four-year-old film? If you have already seen a gingerbread romance, don't bother watching this watered-down version. Um, yeah, I now granted, I have not seen a gingerbread romance. But guess what? This is not a remake of a gingerbread romance. Has this person never seen more than one of these Christmas movies to understand that they're all remakes of each other? Because there's only three stories you tell in them. Um, so again, I guess if you like a gingerbread romance, maybe this fits that. I, I can't tell you. But I found that very amusing. Uh, I don't particularly recommend this as a seek out and watch it. I think this is one of the movies that I would say, um, and it goes in kind of this, you know, we've talked about the different ways of recommending these. This is the one that if you are at, you know, the in-laws house for the holidays and they're debating what to put on, this is probably a good one to put on in the background because it is attractive to look at. There's a lot of good food shots, a lot of really attractive cookies. Um, a a lead who is very likable and who is like an actress that you that is pleasant to watch. So for all of those, it makes one that's a little bit more watchable in the kind of like ads. It's not going to look cheap and it's not going to offend me in any way. Like it, it does make attempts at inclusion. It is very diverse. It's, it's doing a lot of things right. It's just overall not that special and nothing pops out of it. I'll remember it because of probably Tia Sakar, maybe that it was Food Network, but in like five years, I won't remember it at all. So when they inevitably, quote unquote, remake it, uh, perhaps we will see how that goes. But that was a gingerbread Christmas, which means we have reached the point where we got to look back because we're done, right? We went through all of it. Uh, let's go through the rankings of where everything fell. And so let me tell you, when I started thinking about the ranking, I was like, oh, this is going to be a fun one because like there were a lot of great movies this year. There were a lot of ones that were like actual good movies. It's going to be hard to rank. And then I sat down and made the list and realized, oh, oh, Emily, no, there were two good movies that genuinely were good that I would rewatch. And there are nine movies that were just these movies ranging from being mediocre to being like genuinely terrible. Why did I think these were good? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because I had good people to watch them with. Um, it was a delightful year of having guest stars, and I wish I could have more. Um, there was a lot of wonderful people I wanted to ask that I looked at my schedule and thought realistically, uh, I, I just don't, I know I'm going to run out of time. Let me try to get some people that I haven't talked to in a while. Um, so there are many people out there, and I will uh, separately reach out, but 
of next year. I want you on the docket. I want you on the list because I will do even more of them. Um, but I'm so happy with the people that I did get to come and join me. It was a delight because you all made these movies seem better to me, even if you didn't like them as much as I did most of the time. Uh, being able to talk about the ridiculousness of some of these things with interesting, clever, smart, funny people who I'm just in awe of being friends with uh, was just exciting and entertaining, and it gave me a really good month. Um, and for, just to, you know, to get sappy uh, for a moment here, last year, some of you might remember, um, we started doing Stocking Stuffers and ended them pretty quickly. I think I did four episodes, and then duh, that was it. Why was that it? Some of you know, some of you don't know. If you know me in person, or if you maybe follow me in different places, you know, well, last year, I got to join the Hallmark Dead Parent Club when my mother passed away. Uh, it was a really rough December. Uh, the entire month was was bad. Um, it was it was cancer. It was home hospice. So it was being home with various members of my family at different times. So in general, as you might imagine, it was a pretty rough year. Um, my mother passed away. Actually, <laughs> at the point of recording today, it was a year ago today. Um, and you know, anybody who has been through that, like many characters in Cozy Gardener and Christmas movies, know that it makes for a very strange, rough, weird period of mourning after, where you're constantly learning what this person meant to you and where you miss them and all of those things. Uh, something I think um, that I kind of knew was coming was the different um, kind of landmarks of, oh, this is, you know, Mother's Day or your, you know, my mom's birthday. Like all those big things that uh, come that you know, like, oh, these days might be rough. And then they are maybe rougher than you thought they would. And I knew for December that that would be, eh, that might be a rough time because, you know, like many of us, we constantly look at, you know, our one year ago today, kind of where we were at and all of that. And that was a not a great time in, you know, uh, December of 2021. So one of the things I wanted to do was basically keep myself busy and I kind of find the fun and find the joy and find the things that can both keep my mind working, but also just keep me in a more positive place. And weirdly, um, it's not the... I say these things not to say that watching these movies accomplishes what they're supposed to because I think they are in many ways designed for that person who is not happy at the holidays maybe the person who doesn't want to think about all the stress of the day or about all the memories that come with the holiday or the person who's just really busy and just wants to not think for 45 minutes or an hour 45 minutes and just you know watch pretty people make things out of sour cream and kiss at the end of a movie that's not really why I watch these. I watch them because for me, it's just so fun to pull out the weirdness of them. And it's way more fun to do it with other people. So thank you, everybody, for joining me for it, both my guests and all of you who listen, who comment or just listen. And when I randomly find out that it, it made somebody happy or made their day or made them laugh, uh, that brings me great joy. So thank you. Uh, now, with that, let's uh, do our rankings, and we'll start with the movies that brought me the least joy. Although, again, in fairness... The act of watching them, knowing I would talk about them with people that would have their own view on things, it kept me pleasant. Uh, so I'd say if I'm going through number 13, look, the worst movie was probably A Royal Christmas on Ice. That was the ice skating one with the really moody lead actress who did not want to be there. Uh, it just lacked joy, it lacked spark, and for an ice skating movie, it was was a bit dour. Up the list one... 2008's Christmas Proposal, uh, I gotta give it, you know, it's it's um, notable for being so early in the cycle, but uh, was also really ugly and didn't have the charm that I really wanted from a movie made back then that still understood what it was doing. It had enough weirdness that I was very entertained, but I couldn't tell anybody it's a good movie. Number 11 is probably one of the better made movies, but in truth was one of the least entertaining. Uh, and I'd say that was Stepping Into the Holiday. Uh, Lifetime's movie this year with Mario Lopez. Again, it did have a lot of good dancing, so I enjoyed that part of it, but everything outside of that was very just bleh. Uh, Ten, I guess a gingerbread Christmas. It just didn't... It's fine, but I want something a little more punchy in these movies, like number nine, A Christmas Kiss 2. A Christmas Kiss 2 is a terrible movie. It is probably... Might be the worst movie on... No, nah, it's, it's better than the last two. 
It's definitely better than a roll of Christmas and ice. But it is so cheap and so messy and so problematic. And yet, and yet I say, that cast is working very hard. Uh, some genuinely good performances in a movie that is terrible, and I enjoyed watching it way more than I should. Number eight, uh, go with Once Upon a Christmas, the 2000 magical movie with Kathy Ireland. Kind of uh, fun to watch a movie that old that still hits the marks, but hits them differently. Number seven, Falling for Christmas. Uh, this was the Lindsay Lohan, kind of the highest, probably the highest budgeted one on here. But it's the Netflix one. It Again, if I take Jason's rule and imagine the better movie it could have been, then sure. Uh, but it just, it felt so committed to not pushing anything. And I think it really missed an opportunity to have been interesting. Number six, I guess, Holiday Harmony. That's the quote unquote real movie that looked like a real movie that might have also just been an iHeartRadio commercial for an hour and 50 minutes. Did I mention it was that long? Um, but again, a, a good, a better cast than these movies tend to deserve. And it looked better than anything else on the list. Number five. Okay. Now, all right. In fairness, this shouldn't be number five. This again, probably is realistically the 11th worst made movie on the list. Um, but I found my Christmas fiance charming in how weird and cheap it was. This is the one that had the poison, um, subplot and the farting, uh, food poisoning subplot. And it wasn't good, but I kind of enjoyed how, how messy and wrong it felt. Now, number four, uh, maybe the line where things change a bit. Santa bootcamp was all in all a pretty entertaining watch for what we're doing here. Rita Moreno being glorious, um, Marissa Jarrett Whitaker kind of bringing a lot of pep to things, some interesting ideas thrown in, um, and ultimately Santa Claus was real and it was Rita Moreno. So all those things make it yeah, number four on the list. Number three, uh, I can't say it's a better movie than Santa Bootcamp, but I just really enjoyed Justin and Dyke's A Christmas Village. It was... It's one of those movies, again, that I think if you watched it out of, if you watched it out of context from these movies, you would just think it was another one of these movies. But if you watch it after watching so many others, you spot immediately that it is smarter than a lot of them, that it has a sense of humor, that it has a little bit of meta commentary without being mean about it. Uh, it had one of the more rounded leads in many ways where it wasn't, and again, this is something I've seen Justin Dyke do with other movies of his, where he doesn't want to just have a mean career woman or a, you know, flighty, sweet elf girl. He wants, like, an actual person in that part, and I think it really comes through. And as much as it's not a good movie and a lot of things don't add up in it, it if you watch it carefully, I think you actually see that there are things being done that are more interesting than most of these. Now, number two, and this is, again, where, like, the the solid line is drawn between the two good movies that I will rewatch in the future and everything else. Number two is Hallmark's shockingly delightful Three Wise Men and a Baby. I, I again, like, I, I want to be very clear. As, as I'm saying, A Christmas Village is entertaining in weird ways. Three Wise Men and a Baby is just a good movie. It is exactly what these movies are supposed to do for their audience, and normally, I'm just not that audience. But this one works. It is really sweet, but it isn't saccharine. Uh, it has uh, things to say and things to explore. Um, it still, you know, ends in a pretty tie-up of everything in a big knot. Um, but there's substance there. There's good performances. It. I, I am still thinking about how, like, when people will always trash it. Oh, these are all junk. No, no, no. Watch this movie and, and you will you will probably... At first, you might think, oh, no, it's just doing the same thing. And then it's going to turn and you're going to see, no, this was a sweet, cute, funny little family movie. So, again, have at it. And the number one, I mean, come on. I have, I think, since the episode where um, we did Letters to Satan Claus, thank you, Abby, for recommending it, uh, I have, I think, gotten, like, at least seven people I know personally to watch it. And I hope more people do. Again, it's hard to find, but not that hard to find. You just have to put a little bit of effort into it. Uh, and it is just a delight. It's made exactly for somebody like me who has watched so many of these and knows the beats. So have the filmmakers here. And it is a horror parody in the best of ways where it is not talking down to the material. It's having fun with it. 
super great cast, super great dialogue, just a joy all around, and please, people, check it out. Uh, so then last, of course, are the kind of other superlatives where we just kind of run through who is our favorite, this, favorite, that. Okay, favorite lead need of a lesson? Obviously, Karen Knox in Letters to Satan Claus is joyful and funny and hysterical, and I'm also going to throw out a little bit of a, you know, uh, I don't know what, a holly leaf to Madeline Leon in A Christmas Village, because I think she manages to make this character interesting, and, and I wanted to watch her do stuff. I don't have a worst for everything, because I don't necessarily want to be mean this year, but I can't not acknowledge how miserable the lead character in A Royal Christmas on Ice was. Not the actress. I think she was doing what what was given to her, but boy, was that character not somebody you wanted to root for. Favorite setting? I mean, ornaments in uh, Letters to Satan Claus. How can it not be? The worst setting I am going to call out, A Christmas Proposal, because it was this small town that we were supposed to be really charmed by. But, like, somebody said in this movie, well... There are problems with living in a small town because remember when we couldn't get medicine? That's a problem. That is the dark side of small towns that these movies usually don't mention, but it was there. Favorite love interest? Uh, it's hard because I don't think many of these movies had that chemistry that usually even the not interesting ones will, will have. So I guess like Holiday Harmony was probably the one where I'm like, yeah, these two characters I believe would bang and, and it would be pleasant. So I guess that... Uh, and then the worst love interest, I am going to call out just the, the stalkeriness we got this year. Both um, A Royal Christmas on Ice, which was 2022, and A Christmas Kiss 2, which was 2014. Again, 2014, we knew better than to have a movie like this, but I'll give it a little bit of a pass because it's before everybody knew better, maybe. But it's 2022, and that prince was was just was a little bit much, and it upset me. Number five, favorite montage. Nothing that stood out, but I do enjoy that more movies are filling time with the here's what happened in our movie montage. So Falling for Christmas did that. Um, we'll, we'll take it. Um, the favorite dead parents or dead wife. I feel like Falling for Christmas, again, had the most potential weirdness of my wife died. My mother-in-law lives with me and she really wants me to have sex with you, Lindsay Lohan. That, that in itself was just fun. So I'll take that. Favorite sassy sidekick. A Christmas Village had tons of them and they were all fantastic. And every one of them wins. Um, right behind them, Marissa Jared Whitaker is working very hard in Santa Boot Camp. And I, I do want to give her credit for that. Favorite villain. Oh my God, guys. A Christmas fiance had a woman who tried to to arrange for the murder of her ex-boyfriend who she still wanted to get with by telling his new girlfriend to bake him a cake that he was allergic to and she gets away with it now she gets away with it kind of because she is also food poisoned and spends the last 10 minutes of the movie farting and then a post-credit sequence reveals she has been living in the bathroom for a week it doesn't get better than that i tell you favorite slapstick uh another toss-up i feel like three wise men and a baby had some good physical humor it wasn't necessarily i think we talked about it a lot how it wasn't just "ooh, i dropped something it was i got this cut to i've dropped everything and there's a little bit of art to that also everything that happened with kakoa sean falling for christmas was kind of amusing uh ten sage old person i guess we'll go with elizabeth rom in a christmas kiss 2 because i like the idea of returning guest star from first movie coming back in a different role our evil woman became the sage old person that's a transition we don't see often uh, i will call out the absolute waste of my girl rhoda penmark patty mccormack in a christmas proposal who doesn't get to do anything very disappointing favorite santa look rita moreno plays Mrs. Claus, who's actually a Santa Claus in Santa Boot Camp, and that's great. Uh, she wears a completely head-to-toe red sequin jumpsuit. It is fabulous, and she wins my heart. Who loses my heart as Santa is the just kind of unsettlingly ill-kept uh, Santa of Once Upon a Christmas, who just made me uncomfortable. And just to round out um, our favorite extras, our favorite music, um, Again, we didn't have anything like wild in public domain, but Holiday Harmony's original songs, including, yes, the Mary Steenburgen one, but more importantly, the song about Oklahoma that was just about how Oklahoma fries everything. I It made me want to visit Oklahoma, no lie. Favorite family recipe? A Royal Christmas on Ice taught me that you can put peppermint candies in pasta. So that's what I'm making tonight. Favorite small business in danger? 
the Christmas village and how poorly run it was and just the idea that you can have a business and just hope things get better. Uh, and it had goats. So for all of those reasons, a Christmas village. Favorite product placement, we had some good ones. A lot of times we don't get it. Like I, I, It used to be in the main list, then I moved it to the bonuses, and at one year I think I just took it off because I had no product placement. We had a lot this year. We had, of course, the return of Daisy Sour Cream, but we also had uh, K Jewelers with uh, Christmas Kiss 2, which was glorious. But then probably my favorite was the Lifetime's forward branding of the Lifetime Network by using their icon, their red Christmas ornament icon, as the icon of the boot, the titular Santa's boot camp in Santa's boot camp, so that characters were dressed as the same icon that was in the bottom corner of the screen. It just was kind of magical in its own way. Uh, 17, favorite calling child. Oh my gosh, guys. We had quite a year for terrible children, but more importantly... One character, one actress, I should say, was mother to not one, not two, but three of the most cloying children the Feminine Critique has ever seen on camera. So Carla Jimenez, I don't know what kind of medal I give you, but in Steppin' Into the Holiday, you played mother to Junior, the child dancer influencer who was the most glorious, insufferable little shit I have seen in these movies in a long time. And I thought, well, that's it. We're not getting better than that. Like, there might be more children, but none of them are going to hit those heights. Uh, And then, and then, folks, I get to Holiday Harmony, where our character is teaching School of Rock. And you're like, all right, there's going to be more room for cloying children. What do we got? Oh, my God. Carla Jimenez, also in this movie as a sassy sidekick, has two kids. She has twins. They, they don't dance. You know what they do? They motherfucking rap. Kind of. And I, I it's a toss. I don't, like, two rappers to one dancer, I, I can't pick between them. They all win, which also means they lose. But I love it, and I want more of it, and I hope we get more movies like that next year. Holiday name Letters to Satan Claus has a lot of fun with um, just tearing apart the silly holliness and pringleness and so on, enjoyness of characters' names in these movies. I loved it. Uh, favorite Finding the Perfect Tree. Um, a Christmas Proposal has just a weird storyline involving a Christmas tree and possible murder and possible environmental crimes against Christmas trees. And in a movie that's also forward thinking about global warming but is also encouraging characters to just willingly cut down trees all of that it wins that one nah, favorite holiday cocktail i didn't appreciate how stepping into the holiday constantly tried to push on us this idea that this um beautifully fit dancer drank probably three thousand worth of calories via a whipped cream mocha frappa peppermint dream thing uh i appreciate that uh, empty coffee cup acting was another one that just really, really took off this year. Uh, along with not eating, we've seen a lot of good not eatings. I think Gingerbread Christmas in some ways wins that just because it was produced by the Food Network. But empty coffee cup acting, I, I thought we hit the heights. I thought Santa Boot Camp's scene where Emily Kinney and boyfriend scruffy character get cut say do you want hot chocolate yes and they just are holding empty cups that we can see into they tilt them towards the camera so that we can see probably like seven eighths of that cup completely empty but they sit there and they move them as if they are full except not and i thought it's not gonna get much better than this this is the height of bad coffee cup acting but then folks then never never count out never count out mar vista for a christmas kiss too which opening scene and I will put, I will find the trailer. I'm going to put it on Facebook when the episode, well, well, by this point, you've already seen the trailer where our character is walking in with two coffee cups just stacked on top of each other, like you do. And they're just moving around like lottery balls in Yolanda Vega's machine. They're just bouncing around like crazy. I loved it. It made me so happy. Uh, and that's really everything, I'd say. I'm sure I missed a few. Um, sound off on your own favorites, please, in the various social media spots we're in. Uh, if you've missed the news, we have an Instagram now. Guys, I hate Instagram so much. I- I'm, I'm, I'm not a visual person. I'm a word person. I like to type stuff and write stuff, and that's easier for me. 
Uh, so we are on Twitter at Feminine Podcast. We are on Facebook. We have a Facebook group, Feminine Critique. And now we're on Instagram, Feminine underscore Critique underscore Pod. Got all that? Sure, it's great. Sure, we'll put some cool hashtags up there. I'm old. Jeez. Anyway, uh, before we, we head off, I do want to throw one more thing of things that I noticed this year that either felt different or just common themes. Um, I would say one thing that kind of came up, and I think it was Doug who mentioned, was uh, the maybe next year calling out the special guest star aspect of movies, where a lot of these did seem to have that one name or that one surprise veteran that was there. And in both, in, there's at least two movies, uh, My Christmas Fiance and um, A Royal Christmas on Ice, where it was like the biggest actor of the movie who served, whose character served no purpose in the narrative, who didn't need to be there. But it felt very much like a favor to somebody. So something to look out for more and more as you watch these movies is which actor agreed to film for a half an afternoon offset somewhere else and be credited in the movie and have their face prominent on the poster. And then the other thing, and this is weird, the other like kind of unifying theme of a lot of these movies, why did so many of them involve older characters, often the sage old people, doing everything they can to get young people to bang. There was a lot of matchmaking, but like really aggressive matchmaking. Um, I would say you had it in definitely Santa Boot Camp, where Rita Moreno was was ready to jump in herself. Uh, my Christmas fiance had some Holiday Harmony. Brooke Shields was like, hey, you want some condoms? Let me leave out some condoms for you. Um, falling for Christmas, we had a, the mother of her... The, her dead daughter's husband, and this woman's doing everything she can to make her, hus- her, her, her son-in-law want to fuck Lindsay Lohan. It was strange. Y- you had it in um, Gingerbread Christmas a little bit. Stepped into the holiday, definitely. Uh, and Royal Christmas on Ice, where the parents were going hard, for, like, in every which way for these characters. So, I don't know. Is that a new thing? Did I miss something Uh, Some kind of trend where, uh, and this is a good thing that, you know, everybody evolves, um, that, you know, the, I guess in this case, primarily it's like, quote unquote, the boomer generation now suddenly being really into sex positivity, perhaps? I don't know. You tell me. Maybe I'm going far. It's been a long day. It's been a long month. It's been a long year. But that is the end of Stocking Stuffers for this year, for 2022. Uh, again, thank you for the ride. If you have just skipped out, that's fine. We'll see you soon. Um, and come very soon, Christine and I will be back. We are looking forward to a new year of podcasts. We talked a lot. We have big, exciting ideas, uh, different kinds of episodes. We're going to do movies, obviously, as we always do, but also more guests and more special episodes, more of our favorites, more kind of about who we are as as creators and stuff. So, uh, not to be one of, like, I did buy a, pl- I'm not going to lie, I bought a planner recently, because I'm like, no, 2023, that's going to be the year I I plan things and write them down, and then lose a pen, and then don't, can't write anymore, and then just give up. But this year, maybe not, who knows, who can say. Uh, but yeah, thanks for joining, and please continue to join and follow us, and uh, as we always say, holidays are weird for everybody, everybody handles them differently. For some people, it's a very joyous time. For some people, it's a sad time. Some people, it's an aggravating time. Uh, Whatever it might be, I I hope you find a way to make it the best possible time. Uh, I hope in any which way, you know, some of what we've done here may have enhanced it for you somehow or or made you want to, you know, stab your eyes out with uh, Christmas hooks. I don't know. But either way, I appreciate uh, all the support we have had this year and look forward to a new one and deeply, deeply wish everybody a wonderful end of year, holiday season, and all that jazz. Life is full of sweet surprises. Every day's a gift. The sun comes up and I can feel it lift my spirit. Fills me up with laughter, fills me up with song. I look into the eyes of love and know that I belong. Bless us all who gather here. The loving family I hold dear. No place on earth 
compares with home And every path will bring me back from where I roam Bless us all that as we live We always comfort and forgive We have so much that we can share With those in need we see around us everywhere Let us always love each other Lead us to the of reason singing in the night let us run from anger and catch us when we fall teach us in our dreams and please yes please bless us one and all